I say in my book that my attempt to describe, I'm one of the few people who's been to North Korea as a reporter, in fact, all the axis of evil countries. My attempt to describe how terrible life is there is one of my greatest failures as a writer because I don't think it's possible to explain to a person living in a free society the utter misery and pointlessness and horror and starvation and hell of just one day in the life of a North Korean. And the reason I'm starting like this is that I, for the same reason I don't think it's possible to explain the atmosphere of intense military chauvinism. There's only one thing that the Kim Jong-il regime has left to offer to its people, who it's now starved to a stunted condition where they're six inches smaller than their South Korean counterparts. Picture how much starvation that takes. There's only one thing they've got left, which is what they call the army first policy, a, a constant drumbeat of aggressive talk and the, the promise that one day they'll have all the spoils of South Korea too and all the sacrifice will have been worth it. And this is fantastically dangerous when it's combined with this internal repression. And it means they keep on having to stage these provocations. It's, it's innate in their system that they have to keep doing this. It's a truism to compare it to 1984. But in that, it, it does resemble 1984, doesn't it? The terrible a thing state about, of perpetual rhetorical war. Well, I say also in my book that um, totalitarianism, in a way, is a cliché. It's very boring. It's founded on the constant repetition of the same propaganda. And Orwell got this right. So any any real attempt to create a state that is based on the worship of a leader, the almost, uh, well, in fact, in, in North Korea, I'd say the actually religious worship, the deification of a leader, and the complete abolition of the private life will remind you of the novel. Yes, which happened to be published the same year that Kim Il-sung proclaimed the People's Democratic Republic of North Korea. You almost get the feeling he was handed a copy of Orwell in Korea that year and asked, do you think we could make this work? And he thought, well, I don't know, but we can sure give it the old college try. It feels like it's a direct attempt. So that was Christopher Hitchens talking about his experience in uh, North Korea, his understanding of the situation. In my opinion, the incomparable Christopher Hitchens. More from him uh, in the future here. But, uh, you know, North Korea making the news again. They they tend to pop up from time to time with that, uh, with the threats and the, we're going to decimate everybody and launching missiles at Japan and all that. Well, I've followed the North Korea story for a while and it's... There's, you know, there's history and it gets all bound up with the United States and it becomes this whole question. It's this giant question of, you know, what's going to happen, right? Like, uh, what are we going to do? What are they going to do? Are they really going to, like, launch a nuke? And allegedly they can hit Seattle with a nuke. That makes me kind of nervous. But at the same time, I feel like it's all a bunch of BS. It's it's a bunch of bullshit. They're not going to launch a nuke because they can only launch a few they can maybe launch one and it's assuming we don't have countermeasures and all that stuff but the idea that north korea you know they did that in this uh they remade one of my favorite movies red dawn uh in the original version it was the russians invading us and at the time that was scary and somewhat plausible then they remade it what six seven years ago now and and it, it they made it the north koreans were invading us, and it was like, what? I'm not afraid of North Korea invading us. It's impossible. It's like physically impossible for North Korea to invade us. Now, in the original, original remake, okay, the original remake, it was China, but they didn't want to alienate the Chinese audience, so they switched it, and they made it North Korea 
invaded us and it was like how is that <laughs> how's that really like better and it's it's objectively worse because there's no fear there so they they took the meaningfulness out of it by putting it you know it'd be like uganda invading us it's like what it's not not a threat anyways north korea has posed a threat in the past obviously there was the korean war uh and they saber rattle from time to time now this uh, this took on, takes on new dimensions because it you know draws people's attention back to it again and there's a few key things to keep in mind about North Korea and I want to I want to dive into some of this here and uh, uh, kind of lay out this uh, sort of alternate alternate path that we have to dealing with North Korea. So before we do that, head over to redbubble.com forward slash people forward slash Kyle style design and pick up some of my original artwork on, uh, you know, prints and mugs and all that good stuff. And I get, of course, get a pro a portion of the proceeds and you get some beautiful art in your life or head over to the GoFundMe page, throw me a couple of dollars because I am supported, you know, by listeners like you listeners, just like you. So, uh, that being said, uh, here in our free market economy, let's uh, dive into the totalitarian central planning communist nightmare that is the DPRK, the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, which it is basically anything but. Uh, so let's do a little background. So, you know, anything you look at about North Korea, they'll probably touch on this. So I, I kind of wanted to go through it quickly, but... So Korea was kind of its own sort of set of little kingdoms for, you know, millennia. And they were eventually kind of in the Chinese and Japanese sphere of influence, kind of, you know, different alliances and allegiances kind of sh uh, shifted back and forth. Uh, but it eventually became Korea. It became its own country. Now, uh, Korea was invaded and conquered by Japan in 1910. And it remained occupied until September the 2nd, 1945. So it was, you know, what was that, 35 years of br pretty brutal domination by the Japanese, okay? And in the closing days of World War II, Russia, still our ally, uh, they were our ally against the Nazis, they were still our ally against the Japanese, they turned around and said, oh, we're going to go east now, we're going to attack these Japanese. Some sort of uh, some people kind of uh, suggest that this was more of a strategic land grab than aiding an ally. So they moved into into the Korean Peninsula. Right, Korea is a little peninsula in the far east of Asia. It's across from Japan, and you know, I can't help you with all that. Look up a map. Uh, but the Jap or the Russians took over certain areas, and then. In a negotiation with the UN, uh, they divided the, the peninsula pretty directly along the, the uh, what, 38th parallel, right? I don't want to mess that up because that's really simple. <laughs> yeah, 38th parallel. Okay, so the 38th parallel, the north was, uh, the northern portion was influenced, you could say, by China and Russia, both communist countries. And the South was uh, united with the UN, the United States, and Japan as an ally. Now, this 
this would have been, a, I suppose, a, a compromise, or it would have been a, a simple issue of there being, you know, this divided territory. But uh, you had uh, Kim Il-sung, okay, who was the founder of North Korea. And um, what you have here is a, a an implementation of communism that was... In some sense, it's effective. Uh, I actually didn't look that up. That'd be an interesting factoid. There, there's, you know, with the opening of Cuba, there's no communist countries left. Uh, you know, communism kind of burned itself out throughout the 20th century. And Korea, North Korea, as Cuba found, couldn't really stand on its own. They were, they were all kind of uh, dependent on foreign trade and everything to keep their country functioning and you now have like china putting pressure on north korea to behave and that's like their only ally left and you know china is not quite communist there's some kind of weird hybrid going on there but anyways um where was i oh the korean war so june 25th 1950 north korea invades south korea you know, uh, this manifest destiny kind of idea, there's going to be one Korea, and it's going to, we're just going to go take it. Well, it didn't work out quite like that, because the UN was there, the US was sending troops in, and we were fighting them off. We were trying to hold them back, but it kind of didn't work that well at first. We got pushed all the way back to a tiny toehold. Uh, where was it? Uh, pushed back to uh, the southern tip of Korea, Pusan. And this, I've seen different accounts of this, and it might have been on, like, Jocko podcast. I think he's talked about this a couple of times, maybe, or it was just a, you know, Korean War documentary. But that it was kind of, like, down to the last man, the last bullet, barely holding the line against these hordes of uh, North Koreans. Now, it's important to keep in mind, again, that this is not happening just in a in a teacup. There, This is an international... Uh, proxy war you know on october 25th 1950 270,000 chinese volunteers quote unquote crossed into north korea and attacked the un troops so this is now a quarter of a million more troops than we had expected to be encountering right but uh this embattled uh you know, Pusan here, on the far, <laughs> so September 4th, let's go back a month, September 4th, 1950, General Douglas MacArthur, a hero of World War II, launched an ambitious, uh, like an amphibious invasion into Incheon, so that's like the west side of the peninsula, Pusan is the east side, so we went, did an end zone run around, right, just did an end run around the whole peninsula and attacked from the other side. And this uh, invasion was uh, very successful. It cut the North Koreans off from their supply lines so that our, our people in Pusan could push forward again. And it looked like that might be kind of a resolution to uh, the conflict uh, until October 25th, 270,000 Chinese launch into battle. Now, this is something that people need to keep in mind. It's like that we have fought a modern pitched battle with the Chinese. It was called the Korean War. And you even had, uh, it was the first jet fighter dogfights, right? Uh, 
General Chuck Yeager, who is kind of a legend of uh, aeronautics. Uh, he shot down, in a prop-driven airplane, shot down the first ME-262 uh, Nazi jet fighter in World War II. Uh, he's actually still alive, and he's active on Twitter, of all things, which is uh, kind of amazing. Uh, people like him. We're flying Saber jet fighters against Russian MiGs, piloted by, again, Russian volunteers. So this battle over the fate of Korea was partially being decided in the skies over Korea. And, you know, American pilots flying jets versus Russian pilots flying MiGs. And yet, you know, we like just a few years earlier, we had been allies and this whole thing, you know, it, it's because it's that proxy war idea. It starts to go sideways. Kind of might remind you of another little conflict that's going on currently that involves us and Russians. This this just continues to escalate. And what's interesting here is how, like, how these different factors all kind of come together to create the this, the context for what has become this... It's almost a meme at this point of North Korea and South Korea and, you know, all of this drama that kind of comes out of all of this stuff. So, the 11th of April, 1951, President Truman relieved General MacArthur of command because MacArthur was threatening to go to war with China, right? So, so far, the Chinese volunteers have been operating in North Korea. MacArthur's like, fuck that. They did it on purpose. We should attack China. And we should use nukes. <laughs> okay. Uh, so Truman's like, yeah, no, we're not doing that. Takes MacArthur out. And this war continued for uh, for two more years. Largely uh, ended in a stalemate. And the borders of the two countries now are where that fight ground to a halt. Where it finally settled into these sort of stable lines. And then they created a ceasefire, signed an armistice. Uh, it's not a peace agreement. They're still at war. And this is an important aspect of this is that while the South picked up the pieces and built this kind of impressive East Asian, you know, nation that is, you know, making amazing technology and being a world player, the North Koreans kind of never moved on. It's a perpetual state of war. Now, so since July 27th, 1953, the ceasefire has essentially held. Uh, you know, there's been a few little dust-ups here and there, but never really, like, major, you know, loss of life or something that would trigger another war, right? The North Koreans always saber rattle and they like to shoot their rockets off and they sometimes shell stuff and they try to make a, you know, keep up this ruse that they are, um, that they are this menace. But as time goes on, you know, 1953, <laughs> okay, uh, what, are, what, are, what, are, what, what is that? 50, 2003, 60, it's 2013. 64 years in a couple months so 64 years of them keeping their population on lockdown 
and you have something like 26 million uh, North Koreans living in what has been called an open-air concentration camp. And that's not to say there aren't prisons within North Korea, but the entire country itself is a massive propaganda-driven, controlled, uh, you know, authoritarian nightmare where people are forced to go to public, like to a, to a confession groups. They have to go to confession groups and conf uh, confess their sins against the state. And if they're not genuine or they aren't, uh, you know, they aren't forthcoming, you can be branded an enemy of the state and put in a, a concentration camp. A concentration camp in a concentration camp, okay? It's like Christopher Hitchens said. It's, you can't imagine how this is. This is you watching your neighbor and maybe ratting him out or her uh, or them ratting you out. And you don't know if they're going to rat you out or you're going to rat them out. And so the whole thing holds together, like the, the, the dominance from the Kim dynasty holds, right? Kim Il-sung, Kim Jong-il, and uh, Kim Jong-un. Kim Jong-un is now the leader, and he's, what, 27, and he's the supreme leader of North Korea. And he's going to continue with his, uh, with his, <laughs> his Three Stooges haircut. Uh, he's going to continue. It just looks like he's going to go. Anyway, he's going to continue with the practices that have worked in the past. And there's an interesting kind of, uh, there's kind of duality here. And it's that they have this ideology they call Juche. And the Juche ideology is that North Korea should operate completely independently from everybody. It's, you know, do it yourself and everything. We're just going to make everything. And in some sense, via squeezing their population into complete starvation, uh, as Christopher Hitchens described, they have launched, they have their own space program. They have, you know, it's not completely independent. They got some help from here and there and espionaging and all that stuff. But they uh, they have two satellites in orbit. You know, uh, they have these ballistic missiles that they can, you know, at least say you can use them as leverage to threaten other countries. And it just kind of continues. Uh, the The saga continues to unfold. And... There's, I understand how this sounds, but uh, there's times when I think MacArthur might have been right. Uh, it might have been right to nuke the North Koreans and get them to capitulate like we did with the Japanese. And, you know, China didn't have nukes then. Uh, I don't think Russia had nukes then. It would have just been us nuking them and that was it. And it would have been over and there would have been one Korea this entire time and not under a crazy hereditary uh, communist dictatorship. Now, the reason I'm bringing up the, the whole Korea thing is that I had this idea, okay, because this border that they call the demilitarized zone, it's one of the most militarized places on Earth. You know, tanks, artillery, surveillance, guard, you know, checkpoints, and... 
uh, it's it's just incredibly it's landmines and barbed wire. It's it, it remind it almost I almost think of uh, Aeon Flux. If you've ever seen the original Aeon Flux cartoons, there's this border that has these automated machine guns and stuff, and then these certain characters are badasses and they're able to like gymnast their way through the border and they're known for being able to do this and they kind of go back and forth between these two countries. It's kind of like that. Uh, no one's clamoring to really get into North Korea, but uh, people are coming out. And because the border is such a, is such a, it was welded shut, they go around. And what they do is they go north out of the peninsula into China. And then sometimes, you know, they navigate through China. They get to like Malaysia or Indonesia, and then they get to somewhere like Japan. And then from Japan, they can go back to, they can go to South Korea. So they have to go halfway, you know, a quarter of the way around the world to go a mile because there's a border in the way. Anyways, uh, part of the reason that I bring all this up, though, is that I had this idea years ago that but because this but because North Korea is such a jar, such an intelligence black hole, you I mean, you can't just send some mail into North Korea. I don't think <laughs> you could try that. Try sending a letter to Pyongyang. Uh the idea I had is, well, what if you could just get a USB drive full of these kinds of books, full of, you know, with copy, with a copy of 1984 in, obviously, in Korean on it, uh, you know, anything that would inform people about the nature of uh, totalitarian regimes, you know, Gulag Archipelago, uh, look forward to that for an upcoming episode once I finish reading the damn thing. Uh, you know, if you could get that in there, you could start to, you know, wake people up from the the fear and the intimidation and get them to, you know, maybe act on it. Well, apparently, that's pretty much what's happening. So, at this day and age, they have to have computers. They they have computers. They have laptops and and things like that. But they, you know, they restrict their internet. Their internet is heavily censored and doesn't access a lot outside of. North Korea, so they have to smuggle them in in thumb drives, and I was just watching this uh, Frontline documentary uh, where they they talk to some smugglers who they, they translate movies, like American movies, and they you know put subtitles and things on them, and then they copy them onto flash drives, like garbage sacks full of flash drives, and then they take them to the border, and they know smugglers, and then they take the, you know, they take money for the, you know, USB drives, and then the USB drives disappear into North Korea, and the beauty, of course, of these kinds of technologies is once one of them is in, copy, 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 right? You start copying all these movies and everything else, and you, you get to a point where, you know, high levels of, you know, these are highly illegal. I mean, you could probably just be shot for having these things, but it gets to a point where everybody's watching these movies and they're watching South Korean television shows and news and things from South Korea. And then they, and they're listening to pirated radio stations. They're, I'm sure there's other information that's slipping in with this, not just media, but, uh, you know, they are seeing the outside world and and that's something that I, I logicked out on my own years ago that communism can't work if you see that people are doing better in other countries right you go well 
they're doing great. Look at all the cars and, and uh, all the TV and, you know, of course, pretty girls and uh, all this stuff. Look at how great it is over there. Why are we doing this? We, we live in poverty. We're starving to death. This is a known thing. I'm not saying I discovered this. I'm just saying I realized that completely on my own. And then, yes, apparently it is a problem. And that's part of why these a lot of times these authoritarian, type, you know, communist regimes, they keep everybody locked up uh, and closed in. So this was the idea is and it's, it is actually happening is the people are realizing that they are living in this constructed authoritarian matrix right they they live in this manufactured propaganda world where the kim family are the greatest and you have to show complete reverence to them non-stop and the the take like the, the takeaway for me is that um i think it i've heard it said that it was andrew breitbart who said politics is downstream from culture okay and if you go back, you listen to my Imagination Inc. episode, it's all about how uh, this cultural virus, I think Terrence McKenna talked about this, that this cultural virus, that it is our movies and our clothes and our music and our books and magazines and everything. It's just all so hype. It's just so hype all the time. It's, it's bigger, faster, flashier, more awesome. American media is one of our major exports. Like, people love all of our movies. Like, we've got them down, right? And no one can quite do it quite like we do. And that, I think, might be enough to infect the culture of the people of North Korea and make them start wanting the kinds of freedoms their brethren in the South have. Want to believe in those principles that are expressed in those you know, pieces of media, heroism, uh, individualism, rather than enforced collectivism, uh, you know, invention and creation for, in some sense, your own purposes, become the capitalist fat cat, right? It, it's kind of, it kind of works, and at least it works better than a 26 million skeletons eating each other because your government decided it knows how to farm better than farmers do, right? But the key here is that, like I said, MacArthur might have been right that we should have, nuked them, should have nuked those bastards and ended that war. Ultimately, you end up with 26 million captive citizens. Ultimately, though, they want media and they want this, uh, this information and they want all this entertainment. And it's here. It's waiting. It's just waiting to go in there. All they have to do is raise the gates and it'll be... A new market, right? It'll be movie theaters and shopping malls and Amazon can ship there and they can have all the things if they can just keep, you know, if they if they just kind of stay industrialized, they can start producing things. And it will, they, it will be better for everybody if they don't live under this massive nightmarish, you know, uh, hypo hypocritical regime that they live under. But uh, that's, that's enough for me. But... Uh, enough from me just completely from the peanut gallery but i've compiled a uh, a playlist of some documentaries because there are i mean there are many many books about north korea and everything but for internet consumption because it's you know we have the ability to just log on the internet and watch stuff 
I compiled this playlist and it has, I feel like it shows a kind of breadth and depth of how twisted and how insane and how, like Hitchens said, like you, you can't imagine what it's like living in North Korea. Like you, you, we can't imagine what it's really like. We feel pressure to succeed. We feel pressure to, you know, uh, to act morally and ethically and, you know, with social cohesion. That's why people hold doors for each other and stuff. But there, I'm not, you're not forced to have a picture of President Trump in your house and make sure it's super clean and well lit and in the exact right spot and you pay reverence to it every day. It's really petty shit like that. Like, you can't look, you can't look with a, a mean face at a statue of one of the Kims. It's disrespectful. Gulag. Like, we don't, we do, it's hard to relate to. Like, I, I, I say that and it doesn't seem real, but that's actually happening in North Korea right now. <laughs> right? And try this. If you get, if you get charged with a crime against the state, not only will they punish you, they'll punish your neighbors, they'll punish your entire extended family. So somebody that you don't even know you're related to, because you just never, you know, you know there's a distant cousin, you're indicted. The entire family goes to prison. I mean, think about that. Yeah, that's a lot of work <laughs> for one to track people down, start throwing them in prison, but that's what's at stake, and that's what they use as leverage over you. And if you don't want to cooperate with that prison state system, well, in you go too. And so they reinforce their hold. But here's the thing. So uh, here's my free world YouTube playlist. Uh, there's a great one from, uh, it was Lisa Ling and Nat Geo, I think it was. Uh, it's just inside North Korea. And they go to North Korea and they go under the guise of being with a doctor who's doing eye treatments, uh, removing cataracts. And you just got to see how these people react when they have their vision restored with this sort of relatively basic uh, medical process that they are not generally allowed to have because the medical system in North Korea is just so, you know, defunct. And and you just, you just got to watch it. You got to watch it all the way to the end and just see how they react when they can see again. These people are going blind. And then they restore their vision with medical science. And you look at how they react. It's, it's, it's frightening. Now, here's one that I've, I think I've watched this documentary like two, maybe three times. It's fascinating. It's, uh, it's called Crossing the Line. And it was on Netflix. I'm not sure if it is still. But um, it, this, uh, this guy Dresnok, this is his last name, Dresnok, he... It was it was just after the Korean War, uh, and the the lines had you know steadied into, and they were doing patrols and things. And he got in a fight with his, with his supervisor uh, or commanding officer, and he said, "Fuck it, I'm going to North Korea." And he walked across the border and went into North Korea and never came back. And he's lived there ever since the 1950 something, and. 
he had a family there and he's one of like five <laughs> like five white guys in North Korea they were used in propaganda they starred in North Korean movies like their universe is amazingly twisted uh you gotta you gotta see it to believe it like they they were like celebrities in north korea because there's like these like five white guys four white guys uh crazy crazy stuff uh he says he doesn't regret his decision by the way but of course he wasn't starving to death in the countryside uh let's see got uh mike oh yeah michael malice and stefan molyneux they have a conversation about uh the the actual depths of the depravity of North Korea. Like, I, I gave you the, the gist of it, the, the meme kind of level of it, that I feel like people know. People know North Korea really sucks, and they're, like, you know, they're authoritarian, and uh, they're communists, and they torture people and all that. But it's, like, how precarious the situation is. Michael Malice wrote a book called Dear Reader, and every time he's talking about North Korea, it jives with everything I know about North Korea, and it expounds upon it. And I maybe should read the book. Uh, maybe I'll do that. Because it's, it, it find North Korea endlessly fascinating. Uh, if you watch the Vice Guide to travel, it's, uh, you know, the they go to North Korea and they show you, like, how it's it's surreal. Uh, they do this, the, the largest live production on Earth, like, it's like 20,000 Koreans all act out this giant gymnastics display. And the dude, the vice guy, he, he's just the only guy there. He's by himself in this massive stadium. And there's just thousands and thousands of people just, you know, they're forming pictures with their body. Like it's out of control and they have to do it. There's women, you know, you have traffic directors directing traffic, but there's no traffic. Why? Because they were told you have to direct the traffic. You can't be seen not doing something. So rather than get killed, you direct traffic that doesn't exist. It's shocking. It's like it's a shocking waste of humanity. But um, let's see. Uh, there was a few other ones there. Uh, North Korea's Darkest Secrets. And I think that one was... That was more about the prisons and and that kind of thing. Uh, oh, no, wait. Yeah, no, that was the... Um, no, North Korea's Darkest Secrets. That was the, the... I think it was Frontline documentary that I watched about have them smuggling this media and stuff into North Korea. And... Yeah, and then, you know, the, the couple, a couple of Christopher Hitchens ones where he talks about the depravity of... The, the sickness that is that uh, authoritarian communist system that has been exported around the world and how grotesque it is and how corrosive it is to to people it, that it's it's kind of one of the worst things that's ever happened uh, to you know massive numbers of people like communism is worse than Nazism just by the numbers. You know, just by the numbers alone, communism is worse than Nazism. And yet people, people, people call people they don't like Nazis. It's like calling them communists is a little more, is actually worse. I'd rather be called a Nazi than a communist, I think. Anyways, uh, 
so yeah uh there's a playlist for you check them out and just just so you understand that's part of why i include a playlist so you know that i'm not just reading the news headlines or anything like i have studied this for I don't know, years, several years, you know, on and off, just kind of checking in on it and seeing what's going on. And with the recent, you know, events, we we we've, we saber-rattled back uh, recently to North Korea. And then quickly I noticed the headlines kind of faded again. North Korea's testing nukes and they're testing rockets and all this stuff. And Michael Malice is kind of opposed to uh, military intervention in North Korea. But... I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of hung up on it because, you know, I, I've never enlisted, I've never been military, but there's this point where you go, okay, what's the ethical cost to having allowed this to continue all this time? Generations now living in this, you know, in this totalitarian nightmare. And what would be the cost now to act even if they go down swinging how at what point all they're going to do is become more dangerous and more bold because they're more dangerous and at some point don't don't we have to sacrifice to put a stop to it uh, can we decapitate the serpent you know can we cut that head off and keep the rest because if you could t somehow take out the the kims then the whole thing would fall apart, right? Maybe. But, again, what I was going back to from the beginning with the idea of smuggling media in, in the long run, we may not have to. It's just a matter of how long. We may not have to go to war uh, physically. We might just have a bit of a, a culture war that we export into North Korea. It will, it will become its own cultural clash within North Korea, the affluence they see going on outside, uh, positive portrayals of the West or of their South Korean uh, brethren, and they will rise up. They, they might not even have to rise up. It, it will just change. It will be perestroika, right? It would just, they people will just look at each other and everyone will know that they're all watching illicit media and they'll go, you know what? We're done pretending. When they stop pretending that they are following the rules, that's when they will begin to take their country back. And I, I believe that the future is one Korea, but not one where the North conquers the South. It would be one where, hopefully, the South and the North agree to reunify. And it will be the best thing for that region, and, and this will become a part of history, this horrific time where people lived in complete servitude to a family of psychopaths thanks for listening to the kyle style podcast i rant i ranted and rambled and you know uh, uh i might have escalated or solved the problem of north korea i don't know you, you tell me let me know what you think uh redbubble.com forward slash people forward slash kyle style design check out some of my designs buy something or not you know 
buy something or not, or head over to the GoFundMe page, throw me a couple of dollars, or not, because it's a free country, and I'm still offering you this for free. Uh, you know, uh, thanks for listening, and like I said, I, I alluded to uh, Gulag Archipelago episode, I alluded to a Christopher Hitchens episode, go back and listen to uh, the Imagination Inc. episode to understand what I'm talking about, this like cultural virus kind of thing, and uh, look forward to yakking at you more later on the next uh, installment. Bye-bye.